All right. The Divine Missy, you have the floor about the boys who are very nasty. Um, I'd rather not talk about that, if you please. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the girl who was very nasty. All right, so. Uh, yeah, so your loins are pulling you off a cliff, uh, I think is how it, it, it would probably be put most poetically. Um, see, that's... I don't think that's the whole of it. I think that's actually um, a symptom now and not a cause. So the thing that I've... Let me go back and give a, a little bit of context. So since the, the last call that we had um, about my job, things have gotten very much worse. Um, so, you know, we found out that we're not getting our bonuses. We found out that our health insurance is getting canceled. Um, there was a three days delay in us getting paid which we were told was a banking error. Um, now, you understand that, that, that that's, that's exactly what was predicted, right? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you, like, you, but you're saying it like it's a little bit of a surprise? It's not a surprise. What surprises me is that I still want to be surprised. Because what, what I tell myself after all this happens is, okay, step back. What did you expect? Did you expect something different? Right. And so I think there's a deeper reason to why I'm expecting something different. And that's, that's what I've been trying to get at over the past week or so. Um, and what's been happening is what generally happens when I'm being driven out of a place. I'm not being driven out by anyone except me. Um, I, I don't know if that makes sense. So I'll, I'll go on, I guess. So since the barbecue... Wait, so we're not talking about the nasty boys? That's that's another thing. Yeah, because we that, already did the work thing. Let's talk about the nasty boys. Because it's probably a okay. more interesting symptom to work with. But anyway, but if you want to talk about work, we can start there. Um. So... The, the nasty boys thing is, is one of the, the symptoms. So it's, I don't know how to go about talking about this without giving details, which you probably don't want to. Well, I'm mean, sure it's not only just shown up, uh, you know, this year or something, right? So it's to do with uh, being attracted to men who are not, uh, necessarily the best for you is that but it I don't want to say it it's different this time because it isn't but I think it comes from a different place um, so I, I started feeling these these things I guess um, which is how it, it it generally starts off with you know, I, I know a guy and I'm, you know, friends with him or whatever. And then he, I start feeling really paranoid. Uh, for example, like, oh my God, so, so this guy is like, he's talking with other people. That must mean that, like, he has no more room in his life for me. And, like, why doesn't he love me? And, and it's, it gets all horrible and spirals out of control, like, completely beyond the bounds of reason. 
Um, and so the first thing that, that I did was, you know, I sat down and I had the first conversation that I've had in a year, almost a year, with my Miko system. So sat down, it's like, okay, is it actually about this guy? No, it's not about this guy. Do I have any evidence that he doesn't like me anymore? No. Okay, so what exactly am I missing out on? Is it his affection or is it some other affection from somebody else? Okay, it basically I drilled down to where it came from and it took me about 36 hours and I completely don't feel that towards this guy anymore. So it went... Sorry? Sorry, go ahead. I just said right. So it went from, you know, the the first time I did this, it took me three years to figure that out. The next time I majorly did this took me three months to figure it out. And now it's taken me 36 hours to figure it out. But yet I still feel like I haven't made any sort of progress, whatever. Right, because, I mean, you'd like to not have the feelings rather than disarm this bomb of lust, right? You'd rather have it sort of pointed at a productive direction, is that? And, sorry, lust is probably about attraction, right? Yeah, and it's, it's not even really attraction because it's not the guy that I want. It's, like, so not about them, right? Because sure. it's, like, these are always people that... If I was in my right mind, I wouldn't pick. Not necessarily because they're like suboptimal or evil or whatever, but just because it's so obvious that it's not going to work out, you know? Right. Okay. Okay. So I think that given all of the other sort of symptoms, I guess, that are around it, which is basically my thinking of projects which are going to to get me out of America again and doing things like or I've been feeling especially since the barbecue like I've been missing the the train to work <laughs> lots of days um, and I, I only arrive 15 minutes late because I get the next train right but it's kind of like all of this stuff the man stuff and the turning up late to work stuff and the not giving myself any credit for what I've done stuff are all the things that normally precipitate my doing something totally wild and crazy to undermine or completely blow up any stability that I've built for myself. So, so that's like what I mean. Going to Russia, kind of thing. Yeah, it's the going to Russia thing. So that's what I say when I say it's a symptom, but not a cause. Right, and you know, just not to be too opaque. I mean, you were attracted to someone, uh, and uh, you then talked yourself out of that attraction because you felt that it was not it was not the fellow who was actually the the issue, but it was rather something else, right? Right, exactly, and it's like. 
well that affection that I keep missing and keep trying to find in other places that I know I'm not going to find it. Well, where And it stems from, I think, the same thing that myself. Sorry, could you just, uh, I'm sorry, you just gobbled up there. If you could just try that again. Oh, sorry. So I think that the same, you know, searching for or trying to get or thinking that I will get affection in places where... Number one, I know I'm not going to get it. And two, I don't actually want it in that way. Comes from this place or the same era in my life as, you know, wanting to. I'm sorry, Charlotte, you're really uh, garbling it up. Is that happening for other people or is that just for me that other people can uh, not catch what you're saying? Sorry, I just want to make sure I hear what you're saying. Yeah, sorry, it's gobbling. You're gobbling for everyone, so if you can just see if there's anything else that's occurring on your internet. Uh, sure. Go ahead, uh, give it a restart, and uh, just let me know when you come back in, and I'll uh, uh, I'll put you back in. Spot. Oh, always. I, I can't get these these pans clean to the satisfaction of eagle eye, uh, Christina, with like industrial scouring pads, uh, sand blasters, and a hand grenade. Some people just have that talent. Oh, it's weird. I, I try. Also, I do the dishes at night. Like I do the night. Chef Christina's gone to bed, and uh, so I do the dishes at night when it's not quite as bright, and then in the cold light of day, it's like. All right, let's try adding the C in again. Uh, where is... Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out that the... Um
the screen to add people is no longer there. <laughs> How exciting. Uh, add, and I can't add Charlotte because she thinks she's already in. Of course. Can you mute her? Or no, there's a, there's a, there used to be a list, but there should be a list. I'm sure I'll figure it out. There should be a list along the top of uh, people I, I can add or who's on the call. Information. What if you and, click on the chat name? Yeah, I just tried that. Display oh. dial pad, sound settings, video settings. Don't want to dial pad. Normally, it's just along the top of the right. I'm just I just tried clicking on the conversation. It says I'm hosting it, but it can't. Uh, it won't let me add because it thinks she's already in. But there's no list to recall her. It's uh, normally just along the top of the screen. Let me just try. Oh, there we go. I just click on the very top. All right. Let's get it back in. Okay. Is that better at all? Uh, it's still a little spotty. Try again. Um, not sure what else it No, sorry, be. it's not working. I can try calling a telephone or we can try it another time, but that's not going to work because it's. I'm only getting every third syllable. Okay. All right, let's go old school. Let's chat it old school. Dialing, but no. Tried calling. Ah, there we go. Okay, is that better? Yeah, I'd like to order um, two pepperoni. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> what, two whole pepperonis? That doesn't sound like much Two to whole eat. pepperonis, that's right. Well, you know, girls got to watch the <laughs> figure. So, uh, you were talking about um, uh, that you feel that this is this, um, a focus on... on getting affection is coming from sort of an old or historical place? Yeah, uh, it's it's coming from an old historical place, and I think that it comes from the same place as feeling um, really uncomfortable or feeling, you know, like I need to blow up any sort of um, stability that I get, right? Because it's, it's the same thing with my mother. Like, you know, she blows up, she plays nice for a while, but you know that you know that the blow-up's coming again, so you may as well cause it as 
wait for it to erupt on its own, right? Right. Right. So that's the thing that. But tell I, me, I, tell me. Sorry, just tell me if you don't mind. Tell me a little bit more about this. The desire for affection. Uh, tell me about the affection that you're looking for and what what that means to you and what you need. Um. The, and I, look, I, I think we just I think we all we all feel that. So um, I think we all have that desire. I think it's it's very common, and I think it's it's actually in a way very healthy. But I just wanted to know what you uh, meant about it. Sure. So this is actually it's not really an adult love that I'm looking for in in the way that I think about like what an actual healthy adult relationship would look like. It's more like what I want is sort of support of the type it's like an unconditional love right it's like you know it's it's really hard to talk about it because you know I, I start feeling really really sad whenever I, I think about it and I can't quite put it into words it's it's just like it's more a, a feeling that I want, I guess it's it's the um, it's the feeling of being safe and being taken care of and not having not having to go out and, and it's not really not having to do things for myself. It's not being scared that if I fail, it's just me, you know. Right, right. No, I, I totally understand that, but go on. Um, and, and so it's like, well, I, I don't think that an actual like adult relationship provides or should provide unconditional love in that way. But not having had that before at all is kind of like, you know, why should anybody love me? And further, like, if I see or if I perceive that affection's being withdrawn, it doesn't even really have to be. It's just like I go into, like, absolute panic mode that generally results in mine you know, throwing myself at people, which actually ends up driving them away and doing the, the opposite of what I, I desperately want. So, uh, I don't know what else to say, really. Hang on, Charlotte. I think Steph dropped out. I don't see him in the list anymore. Oh, dear. I don't know if he realizes it. Oh, dear. It, it, it's sad to think that he's, you know, uh, holding forth somewhere on the other end and we can't hear him.
to have had, you know, crappy parenting, feel that to a very strong degree, right? A very strong degree uh, to, to just get those kinds of resources. And people will do a lot to try and get those kinds of resources from others, right? So they'll try to, they'll make money and they'll, you know, spend it so that people will be attracted to them. And then it's sort of a, or, or they'll, you know, try to be sexy or they'll try to be athletic or they'll try to be famous or they'll try to be talented or they'll try to be whatever to have something that will attract people to them that's not quite equal right right and the one thing that i can sort of say you know with my isabella's almost six months old now is that ah man i can tell you i can tell you a couple of things the first thing that i can tell you is that people who hurt children are completely scabby freaks of nature. I, I didn't get what freaks these people really are until I became a parent. The, the very idea that I would do something to, to hurt Isabella, I mean, you know, that's not medically necessary, right? Is, it's, it's, it's completely mind-blowing. I was just this morning, I was climbing the stairs and I was, I was kissing her cheek and I was sort of hiking and I was getting her to get ready for her nap. And I was just thinking like, okay, so my brother had a, a, a younger brother, right, me, and he looked at this little baby uh, and, and thought, hey, this is, a great, this is a great little baby to be cruel to. I mean, I, I didn't even understand just how completely freaky that is. You know, let alone my mom, you know, hitting kids and, and bullying kids. And, and it, it, it's so completely bizarre. They're so helpless and they're so dependent. And they're so needy. I mean, the amount of resources you have to pour into a child, it, 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 literally, they're, they're holes without a bottom, right? And, and I, I like that. I really, really like that. Uh, aspect to, to be that generous to give that much it's really really quite a pleasure right. but she she needs so much she needs everything from us and the idea of, of, of using that as some sort of ego power trip bullying or something like that is it's it's so incomprehensible to me that i am much firmer in the defu unrepentant abusers than I ever was before, much firmer, because they are such unredeemable, f evil freaks of nature that there simply is no possibility of having even a remotely non-toxic, non-abusive relationship with them. That's just I just sort of wanted to mention that uh, that up front, right? That becoming a parent has just made it all the more horrifying that parents would would ever uh, treat a child uh, abusively. It's just, they, they literally are an opposite species to us, right? So I just I sort of wanted to mention that up front. Uh, and sorry, if, yeah. if you're not talking, if you could just mute yourself, I'd really appreciate that. I could just hear typing and stuff. Um, so that's the first thing that, that I would say. And just to put that in relation to, to your own mother, I think is just really, really important to understand just what a contemptible, sick, you know, necrotic freak of nature she actually was and how there was never any possibility of extracting anything other than, you know, venom, shit, and awful from her soul. 
Yeah. Right. So you so you do have this this huge chasm of unfilled expectations and legitimate and genuine needs, and 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 that's that's a reality. That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's and I'm, I'm not saying you are right, but it is nothing to be ashamed of. It is perfectly natural to have had to try and navigate and extract nuggets of nutrition and distracted affection from abusive parents is like spending your life like a nimble pickpocket in a highly dangerous police state or an Islamic state where they cut your hand off for stealing, right? It is incredibly stressful. It is incredibly splitting. It is incredibly exhausting, right? Yeah. Definitely. So the needs that you have, they are all perfectly healthy. Like if you didn't have those needs, if you didn't feel those needs for affection, for uh, someone to take care of you, for someone to make everything better, for someone to literally kiss the boo-boos. And I know that sounds diminutive, and I don't mean that that way. If you, because you are left with these incredible, unfulfilled, nearly bottomless needs. And, and it's damn good that you feel them, because if you didn't, right, you would, uh, you would act out, right? Yeah, definitely. So that's the first thing that I will say. The second thing that I will say is you will never get these needs met. Yeah. Right? We know that, right? It's hard to accept, but we know it. Right, exactly. And and that's, you know, that's the thing that I told myself, which pretty much made the, the I don't know, it's not quite right to call it lust, right? But that's that's what I told myself that sort of made it go away this time. The infa- like, infatuation may be a, a, a reasonable word. Infatuation, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's like... You know, I know that I have this, and I know who I want it from, but it's not going to happen. You know, if right. if it could have happened, it would have happened back there, but it couldn't even happen back there. So. It never could have happened back there, and it never will happen in the future. And in order to avoid the pain of that loss, of that genuine loss, of this tragedy of an eternally hungry childhood that so often leads into an eternally hungry and devouring adulthood, right, of obsession and chaos and, and you know, uh, infatuation and lust and distraction and drugs and sex. And, right? It is so, in order to avoid just that simple agonizing loss, you know, it, 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 the, the, the needs that weren't fulfilled that never will be fulfilled, that we just have to find a way to, to grieve, right? Because once you grieve them, then you don't need that from others, right? But in order to avoid that grieving, because it feels like a grief that will swallow us whole, because when we were children, if we had grieved that, it would have absolutely swallowed us whole. But in order to, yeah. in order to avoid that necessary grieving, we imagine and we hope that we can – it's almost like trick other people into investing resources into us by distracting them with our skills, our talents, our abilities, our bodies, right? Our intelligence, our creativity – all, all of the goodies that we possess, we kind of want to dangle them in front of people like bait so that someone's going to become obsessed with us and, and, fulf- and fill in all of those gaps and, and voids that were left by crap parenting, right? abusive parenting. Right. I mean, you know, when, when I realized that again, because, you know, I've come to these conclusions before, right? But when I realized that again... Man, that was one of the um, that was one of the suckiest thirty six hours that I've gone through. Um, but you know, there's there's still like so much more down there, right? Because it's it's when 
this sort of the big one, I guess, happens, and, and I do stuff like, you know, move to another city within three days of deciding to do it or, like, go to Russia or whatever. It's like there is so much stuff that I don't feel that, that I can or don't want to believe that it's true that I have to grieve for that, you know, I literally, I run away. Sure. Now, why do you do that, do you think? And I understand it. At least I think I understand it. But, but why do you think you do it? What's the, what's the, what does the running do to help with the, the, the fantasy that the need can be filled somehow? See, the thing is, it, it doesn't actually help. I mean, it's... It, no, no, I, I know it doesn't. Sorry to interrupt. I know it doesn't help. But why do you, why do you have the fantasy that it will? Or what, what is the thinking that produces the fantasy that it will help? Part of it is a me plus thing. So it's sort of, you know, I'm going to go away and I'm, I'm going to, you know, learn all these languages and, and start up all this stuff and have all, you know, these wonderful adventure stories to, you know, proffer to, you know, people that, that I meet. Um, that's, that's part of it. The, right. The so you then become interesting. Sorry to interrupt. You become interesting because you went to Russia, you did these things, you taught here, you wrote a novel and uh, set in Italy and you went to Italy to write it. And that makes you uh, somebody worth talking to. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Right. That, that's only part of it. Um, and sorry, the, the sad thing is that you know that the people who, who would be interested in you only because of that are exactly the same people who have unfulfilled needs, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's the same as the men thing, right? It's like I'm trying to go out and get this stuff again from people that I, if I was in my right mind, would not choose. Right, right. Sorry, I, uh, I interrupted you. I do apologize. Please go on. No, that's all right. Um, the, the other part of it, you know, I, I know that there's there's really got to be something else because it's, it's not just that. It can't be just that. But I'm having a hard time, like, putting my finger on it. With putting your finger on what else it might be? You think it, might, it, it may be more than just that? Yes, I, I think so, but I'm not, I'm not sure what else it is. All right. Uh, and since we've talked about this before and you feel that there is um, uh, something more, which I'm going to completely accept um, uh, as, as you know, a valid possibility, we'll find out if there is or if there isn't, then uh, I could ask you some questions which I think might be helpful in uh, figuring out what else, what else it might be. Yeah. Is that, does that sound like a good course of action? I don't want to uh, to turn off the other aspect of the conversation that you you were just talking about, but I'm happy to ask those other questions. No, it. it I think that that question is is going to go because I I'm sort of at a loss at the moment. Sure. Okay. Well, um, there was a a podcast conversation probably about. 14 to 16 months ago, I can't remember exactly, or maybe that's not even that accurate, but it was a question in which I asked the first of two, I guess, really important questions uh, to do with philosophy. And the first was uh, the, the question that I asked back then. I, I, can't, I think you were in on the call, but I can't recall, and I'm sorry if I've got that wrong. And the question was, um, what percentage of your conversations uh, are, are honest, or what percentage of your interactions are, are honest during the day? Do you, do you, did you, were you in on that call, or did you listen to it afterwards? 
Um, I, I vaguely remember it. I, I either listened to it or was on it. But, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And, you know, people started off quite optimistic, and then we would take 5%, 10%, or whatever, right? Right. And and that's, you know, again, uh, well, sorry, not again, because you haven't heard this. I was just talking about this with someone about his resume, right? You can't manage what you can't measure. You can't improve what you don't have a statistic or any kind of even a, a, a sort of gut-level statistic about. And right. so when people really thought about it, they were coming up with like 5 or 10% of my interactions during the day are really honest, right? Mm-hmm. So let me ask you the second and, and subsequent, though, in, in the long run, more important question. Um, and I, I don't mean this to be provocative because it's, it's a really tough question to, to ask and to answer. But uh, tell me what you think. Um, what, what, what percentage of your day, Charlotte, do you feel you act in a, a noble or a virtuous uh, manner? Well, given that that most of the day is spent working to to make such people money, um, very very little of it. I well, I, that's that's a very that's a very honest answer. But but tell me what uh, what percentage would you say? And you can say percentage uh, of the week if if you'd prefer or whatever, right? But it's an interesting question to ask, right? Because this is this is supposed to be our our dedication, right? Is is to virtue. Yeah, and exactly. again, I, I ask myself this like almost every day. Like, well, how did I do today, right? I mean, because it's important, right? This is sort of what I quit my career for and dedicated my life to. So it's like, well, how am I doing, right? It's sort of an important question to uh, to right. ask. Right? Exactly. I mean, the only times that I can think of my, myself as acting in a virtuous or, or noble manner to, to the extent that I do or can is um, is when I'm, I'm talking with uh, one of you guys, and, and not always completely then. Uh, so, so I would be surprised if, you know, it was 5% of my week. I would be surprised if it was that high. So 5%? You would be surprised if, right? So so give me a, a, a more, like, that. that's a, that's not quite an accurate answer then, right? Uh, per, perhaps 2%. All right, and uh, can you um, uh, can you tell me uh, what uh, what uh, what would constitute that two percent? And I'm you know I'm sorry to, to ask you this question because I know it's not an easy question, of course, right? Uh, and and it's a question that everybody uh, really should at this point for sure in in their sort of pursuit of philosophy should be asking themselves, right? Definitely, and you know I, I was actually thinking about this on my uh, on my walk tonight. It's like you, you said. Um, in the last call, that you know you're you're really happy with yourself if you can put fifty percent of your values into practice every day. But, but oh man, I'm I'm dying. If I do that, I'm top of the I'm top of the moon, baby. But anyway, go on. Um, but I, I hadn't really considered it from this angle. So the the noble or virtuous things I can think about is um I I try um I, I don't always feel that I, I do a good job um. But I, I try um, whenever I talk with anyone on FDR to be, you know, a, as honest as I absolutely can to, you know, give um, feedback in the moment or, or to ask, you know, questions that help people um, get get through, you know, whatever stuff they're they're working with at the moment. Um, 
And, you know, every night before I go to bed, for example, um, I try to, if they're willing, I, I try to have a chat with my, uh, with my muse and I, I write down, you know, whatever they say and, and whatever I think, which isn't always flattering. Um, again, it's, you know, just that trying to be honest and, but that's not very much of my week, of course. Sorry, you said you have a chat with your, was it muse that you said or was it some other word? Uh, with my Miko system. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure I understood what you were saying. Okay. All right, so uh, so your time on FDR, and and you know just just to to back that up, I must say that, and I'm sorry that we didn't get much of a chance to chat while you're up here for the barbecue, but your contributions that I saw were uniformly great, and you were perfectly charming and and positive uh, and fun company. So I just wanted to to thank you for for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Okay, and so uh, so you've been involved in in philosophy for how long? Oh, good Lord. Um, well, I first read, well, how an account, you know, the first time I read Aristotle, because I didn't understand any of it. Um, but, you know, the first time I read Rand, I was like 11. So, you know, for 12, 12 years or so, I've been, you know, studying philosophy. Right. Okay. And uh, FDR, two, two and a half? Um, it, coming up on two, yeah. Coming up on two. Okay. So, um, so 10 years, uh, sorry, 12 years, you said, and uh, mm-hmm. again, and this is not to say, and, you know, it's all, it's not all divided into pre and post FDR, but certainly uh, FDR, um, you know, the aim is to really put traction into people's lives with these ideals, right? So that we don't sort of reel at, at the shrugged and say, well, if John Galt ever knocks on my door, I'll seriously consider quitting because we know that's not going to happen, <laughs> right? So we have to try and put it more into, into real practice, right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, and actually, awesome. his hair is more brassy than copper. Anyway, sorry, just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's awful. But, um, but, but no, but, there there wasn't very much traction at all before I, I joined FDR. So I, I don't even really like the right, but that's that. that's a. But that's that's. I mean, it's an interesting question to ask, and and you know, it's it's sometimes it's it's not an easy question to ask, right? Because you know, we all. We all have those inner catapults aimed directly at our foreheads, you know, ah, self-attack demons on the loose, right? But it's an interesting question to ask and say, okay, well, uh, I've now been studying this for over a decade, right, to 12 years, mm-hmm. done some therapy, been involved in some pretty personal conversations, found a community of like-minded thinkers, and with all of that effort, I'm hitting my values 2% of the time. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean when I say it's it's a it's a really, and look just to be you know to be kind and not even kind but just basically fair. I don't think I was hitting even hitting two percent when I was your age. So you know, good for you, right? Yeah. But but it is an interesting question, right? Because we say reason equals virtue equals happiness, right? And so if we're only hitting virtue two percent of the time. Or only hitting, you know, and again, it's not like I'm saying you're evil 98%. Obviously, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just talking about, you know, the real good glow of virtue. If we're only hitting that 2% of the time, then we're obviously not being as rational as we'd like. Because if reason equals virtue, then we should be hitting it more than 2% of the time. And if reason equals virtue equals happiness, then by God, we are not setting ourselves up for a life of happiness if we believe there's only one route to get there and we only take it 2% of the time, right? Right, exactly. 
So tell me what uh, what you think of what I'm saying. Because it's a big question, right? And you just happen to be the happy guinea pig wandering into this, this section of the maze, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, tell me what you think of that. Because it's a little startling to think of it that way, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, given that, you know, a, a lot of these, a lot of the environment that I'm in, that I've put myself in, um, is basically, you know, anti-rational. It's, it's like, well, I'm not really setting myself up in the broad sense for being happy, but I'm not even setting myself up in, in the sort of micro sense in, in the part of my life that's, that's just me for right. happiness, right? Because I'm, I'm lying to myself quite a bit of the time. I'm, I'm not being, you know, not having integrity with, with myself. So, but I, sorry, I, 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 sorry. Just, just to, just to clarify, when you say that you're lying to yourself, do you mean that you're consciously lying to yourself? Because that certainly wasn't my experience the last time we talked about your work. I mean, you genuinely oh. seem to believe these things about your work, and it wasn't like I never, got, I didn't get any sense of, of, of conscious dissembling on your part. No, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not consciously lying to myself. Um, this just popped up in my mind. Is it comes to the same, but I, I guess it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's sins of omission and there's sins of commission, right? And and it's important to distinguish between the two, right? So, um, you know, obviously there's, uh, there's, there's stabbing a guy, and then there's not stopping someone else from stabbing a guy, and then there's not spending the rest of your life wandering the streets hoping to stop people getting stabbed, right? Which is not a very productive use of one's time, right? But uh, there are these uh, these different levels. Now, I think that what where we all fall short. Uh, is is where we have these values and we think that there are these exceptions, right? So we think of it in the realm of the state and of God and, and of the families and, the you know, we listen to these these podcast conversations. They're like, oh, my God, that's terrible, right? And then we go to work with irrational and abusive people and we've, we don't make that connection, right? Right. And and that we all do, and we all we all again. Maybe there's someone on the, on the in the conversation who doesn't, and if so, I'd love to ask tips, right? But we all do that. Yeah, right? really, it's so. T- oh. Yeah, if so, you know, you take the mic, and I'll sit at your knee, right? So uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that, right? Um, so we all think that there are these exceptions to 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 these values that we practice in the abstract, or we we sympathize with other people in the abstract, right? Uh, but then, when in our own personal lives, it becomes you know, matching the, the values to reality becomes like a, a game of reverse magic, or sorry, reverse magnet push along, right? Or or kind <laughs> of like uh, trying to grab that slippery bar of soap, right? Right, that makes sense. And, and as you're saying this, I'm thinking of, of some of the stuff even now that it's like, okay, like we've, we've come to these conclusions before. We know that I do like the me plus thing and all of this. It's like, Really? There's there's no exception. I've been trying to make quite a few recently. Yeah, and, and we look we all do. <laughs> we all do because the, the it's 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 pretty grim, right? And and uh, to, to to get that there are no exceptions, right? I mean it's it's just pretty grim. Right. because it uh it it clarifies life a little bit too much for our tastes sometimes, right? Yeah. It's like really I have to live this all the time? Damn Right. And I, I used to do that like, oh maybe this trial will go away, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't act right if I just hide here, right? <laughs> Maybe. So, but yeah, I mean, when under this rock, right, right. So, so that, right, so that that that's an important benchmark to have, right? And and the reason that I'm I'm pointing this out is 
is that if you believe that, you know, reason equals virtue equals happiness, and you're only meeting your own standards of true virtue 2% of the time, which I think is a, a, a really honest, uh, I, I don't know what the real answer is, but I think it's an honest place to start, then either the equation reason equals virtue equals happiness is, is wrong, mm-hmm. which is important to know, right, because <laughs> otherwise, we, you know. <laughs> We're, we're applying a, 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 a ink to clean the spot, right? Which is not going to work, right? Unless right, it's invisible Steph. ink. No, no, Steph, don't get this one. <laughs> um, right, but, but we, we, we have that problem because we, we are not acting as if we believe that, right? And, and whenever there's this disparity between what we believe and what we're doing, we either need to change our actions to conform to our belief or we need to reassess that belief and change it to conform with our actions, in my right. opinion. Because I think that the split is really crazy-making. Yeah. Now, I, I also wanted to point out something uh, just, just before we move on, right? Because uh, uh, you're, you're a lot happier, in my experience, than you were two years ago, right? Yes, much. I, I mean, there's no comparison, really. Right. And, and I would say that's, that's because, again, in my opinion, in my experience... Um, you were doing anti-rational uh, things two years ago, and you're doing few, if any, of those now. So instead of, you know, so you're plus 2%, but that's a lot better than minus 25% of whatever it was before. Right. I, I was thinking that same thing earlier. It's like, okay, well, you know, that 2%, but yeah, I've actually come up like 27, uh, 27 exactly. points on the exactly. scale, you know? Exactly, exactly. Right, so so I think that's that's really I think that's an important thing to recognize and to respect within yourself that that's a a huge turnaround to do in two years a huge turnaround to do. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the things that I don't usually do is you know look back having you know climbed thus far however far this is I don't really look back and say wow you know, good show. I've gotten here. Right. It's like you say, well, I'm only going to the gym twice a month, but two years ago I was doing crack. You know, <laughs> it's still an amazing <laughs> thing, right? We don't compare ourselves to, you know, I don't know, Angelina Jolie's gym regime of four hours a day or whatever, right? We'd sort of say, well, compare it to two, because it's a, it's, a it's, it's a journey relative to the starting place, right? Right. So, so my question is, um, what is your because you love courage and virtue in a very romantic way in an artistic way and in an abstract way and i don't mean that's the only way that you love it but this is my very strong experience of you charlotte that you love the knights in shining armor the medicis the you know the the guys with the white plume on the high mountain with the trusty steeds and you you love that stuff right the renaissance heroes and and the the people who stood up against uh, the, the, the irrationalities and conformities of their time. You, you love those guys, right? Yeah, definitely. Right? I mean, if you could snap your fingers and, I don't know, go, go there as it'd be Catherine of Aragon or something, right? You'd be pretty, pretty seriously tempted, right? Pretty seriously. Right, right. Um, and so you, you love these things in the abstract. Uh, your rational faculty loves them uh, in, in the abstract. And... Uh, yet the actions that you take are not in conformity with the values that you hold. And again, I say this because I'm in the trenches with you, right? I certainly, I think I'm a pretty good person, 
uh, you know, I, I think that I'm I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. I think I hit my values a reasonable amount of time. I obviously hope to improve and increase and so on. I think I'm a pretty good person, but I'm not. I you know I would not say that uh, I am a. Uh, <laughs> I'm certainly not a perfectly moral man by any stretch of the imagination, uh, and I actually would view that kind of perfection as a kind of prison. But uh, uh, so I say this as as someone who also I do not meet my values all the time or even close to all the time, right? So uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not levitating on any high mountain by any stretch. I just wanted to sort of point that out that I'm really in the trenches. You know, I need the ammo passed to me as well as pass the ammo to others. <laughs> yeah. But there is that gap, right? There is that gap, which means that, I mean, logically, there's a couple of possibilities. Either you don't believe the reason equals virtue equals happiness, or... Mm-hmm. Uh, you, or you believe that two percent virtue equals one hundred percent happiness, or you know, or something like that, or, or the maximum amount of allowable happiness, uh, which is fine, right? And and that's that's certainly a possibility. The equation might be incorrect, right? I mean, and we might need to revisit it, of course, as all things. If it was incorrect, I would probably be happier. <laughs> right. Well, no, you wouldn't be because if it was incorrect and you thought it was correct, then you oh, wouldn't be happier, right? That makes sense. Right. If you think smoking is good for your emphysema, right, you're going to be healthier than somebody who doesn't, right? You're unhealthier than somebody who doesn't, right? So, so that's that's yeah. a possibility that the equation is is wrong, and we should slip into nihilistic hedonism or some relativism or whatever. We should just cast aside these nutty um, rational values and just go with the flow, go with the herd, you know, join the masses, dissolve into the collective goo, and you know, get all those goodies, right? Because there are lots of goodies for doing that. Right. So that's a possibility, right? That conformity outstrips rationality when it comes to happiness, right? Because we are social creatures. We like to get along. We like to get ahead. So the equation might be wrong. Maybe right. there's more happiness in conformity. Maybe. I don't know. That's a possibility, right? Something we always have to consider. Sure. So that's that's one possibility, which is that you don't really believe it, and so you just do it kind of grudgingly, or it's a kind of masochism, you know, like you like to feel superior and alienated and different from people, and so you've picked this philosophy to blah, blah, fence yourself in, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. That's one possibility. Now, the other possibility is that you do really believe that reason equals virtue equals happiness, but uh, some there is a, a block, in the way, right? And the block would, would be a number of things, financial, social, psychological, whatever, right? Or a, mm-hmm. a, lack of, a lack of comfort with the degree of happiness that you sense might be possible with a higher adherence to your highest values. Right. Because um, happiness is something like, it's, it's, it's like, um, did you ever see The Princess Bride? Um, once, yes. You did. Well, um, Wallace Shawn plays this really funny guy uh, in there. I've learned two things in my life. One, never get involved in a land war in Asia. Two, right? And, and anyway, so he does this, this poison game with someone where they switch poison glasses and so on, right? And mm-hmm. uh, uh, anyway, so they both drink it and then Wallace Shawn dies. And he says, ah, but they were both, just before he dies, ah, they were both poisoned. How could you survive? And uh, Carrie Elba says, ah, it's because I spent a lifetime uh, developing an immunity to <laughs> such as the myocane poison or whatever it is, right? So it doesn't matter if you feed it, whatever, right? Right. And happiness is, is like that. You have to spend a lifetime adapting yourself to it because it is a rare, and for most people, it is a very rare and transitory experience. And we're trying to build it as a castle we live in, full of glowing bricks, right? And so we have to acclimatize ourselves to it. So you're like, well, I do believe it, 
and I'm working my way towards it, but I don't want to short my circuits by grabbing too much too soon. Yeah. And, you know, someone said to me, it's barbecue. It's like, well, we're all rag amateurs at being happy. It's, it's sort of like, I know in the abstract, like how to be happy, but I don't know how to live as, as like a, a happy human being. I, I have no like idea. Right, right. <laughs> I, I know yeah, how to live as a miserable one, but... Right, right. Right, and so much, of course, so much of what is portrayed as happiness in society is just a kind of shrill, shrieky, you know, the woo girls, right? Woo! <laughs> right, I mean, it's it's the kind of stuff that a lot of the people that I work with are going after, right? You know, it's it's the huge wealth and the fast cars and the, you know, hot chicks and... Yeah, that's that's Not happiness so on steroids, right? It's that happiness on steroids. It's that high fructose cheerleading tequila nonsense, right? Yeah, pretty much. Right, right, and that's not you know that that's not happiness in my in my opinion, but uh, it certainly yeah. paints a compelling portrait, right? Sure, I mean to those who you know can't achieve like actual happiness, I, I guess you know cheerleaders and money is a reasonable facsimile. Right, right. So, uh, the other thing is that you hold these values, and other possibilities, you hold these values of truth, honor, integrity, virtue, or whatever it is, right? And of rational living. You hold these values, but you, um, you hold them in order to punish yourself, right, for not achieving them? Yeah, that's, that's an insane level of masochism. It's actually a very sane level of masochism because it's about the best masochism. That's high-quality masochism. That's like grade A, prime A, government, USDA inspected masochism. That's a very sane form of masochism. Nothing as silly as, you know, cutting yourself in the arm. You want to get high values that you never quite match so that you can torture yourself with your immorality. That's quality masochism. That much the Catholics know, right? Yeah, there you go. That's like Spanish Inquisition quality. Oh, absolutely. 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 So that's another possibility. Uh, again, I'm not saying I don't I don't have any any particular thoughts at the moment about which it is, but these are some possibilities as to why you would have these values. And mm-hmm. it's not that it's not that you don't meet your values. And again, I'm using absolutes here, though it's unfair. But just to you know keep it short, it's not that you don't meet your values, Charlotte. That is the problem, in my opinion, because nothing in particular is a problem if it's conscious in this area, right? right. Right, so uh, you said you were thinking about it, which I think is great. But I don't think that you thought, oh, you know, it's 2%. I wonder why, why do I have this gap between my values and my practice? Right. Right, and, and because it's not conscious, that's where the real danger lies, in my opinion. Actually, that's more than my opinion. And right, the stuff which is unconscious is where the real danger. Because the stuff that is the most unconscious is, is building a road towards a future that we really don't want, right? Because if we wanted it, right. it would be conscious, right? Right, exactly. So it's 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 the degree to which we are not aware of the gap between our virtues and our actions. That's the, the part that is, I think, really worth focusing on. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, why is it only 2%? Um, or rather, to be more precise, why is it unconscious that it's only 2%? 
it seems like it seems like that there are you know a, a lot of reasons right because it seems like there is there's so much in, inherent in that in that being virtuous and in that achieving happiness right it's like I'm holding myself down not consciously but I'm holding myself down at a level where this is hard but it's the I don't think I can articulate this correctly but it's it's the devil I know I guess and that's that's not nearly all of it but sorry the devil you know being your behavior or the environment that you're in um you know, the environment that I'm in and how I behave in that environment, both. But if it's unconscious, sorry, sorry to be annoying, <laughs> as always. Mm-hmm. If you're saying that, that if this is part of the unconscious reason, then it didn't, sorry, let me, <laughs> rebooting, <laughs> reformat, reboot, restart the question, sir. Um, if it's the environment that you know, I don't know that you know it. Right, because you don't say like when we talked about your work, you didn't say, "Well, you know, this guy was abused as a kid, and he hasn't processed it, so of course." But this is what I'm stuck with, and so on. Right? You genuinely didn't get that part, right? Or is the environment you know the environment that you don't know in terms of it being unconscious and conforming? Is that what you mean? I I think that's pretty much it. Okay. Okay. Right. So so if you are drawn to not act out your values, if you're drawn to not uh, act your values, then you will be drawn to environments that make acting your values uh, impossible, right? Right, and I think that that has some evidence behind it because, you know, ever since you've pointed these things out and it's become conscious, for the most part, conscious of, you know, watching the ways in which it is impossible to act out my values and in which the people where I am act out the opposite of what they say are their values. I've become more and more unhappy. Sure. So Well, you've become more and more aware of your unhappiness. I'm not sure that you would become more unhappy. Right. Right. That that makes sense. You know You're like someone coming like, off the painkiller saying, I'm become, I I'm experiencing more I, I'm I have more pain. It's like, no, you're just experiencing it, right? Right. Right. And, uh, sorry, go on. No, no, I just want to say, or I was saying, I'm I'm not sure that, that, well, I'm sure that that's not the whole of it, but I don't know what else it is. Because if I I knew what was, you know, if I knew what was unconsciously holding me here, then it wouldn't be unconscious. Right, right, right. Okay, um... I'll just give you two seconds of my own sort of experience uh, transitioning out of the working world to to FDR because it may be, I think there are some parallels. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it it became, I mean, abundantly evident to me of the past few years of my business career that I simply could not, um, I, I could not practice my values in the business world. I just I couldn't, not to, to the degree that I wanted. And those values weren't, you know, honor, integrity, and, you know, standing up for, uh, you know, that which is right and taking, it wasn't just that. 
it, it was even just the basic honesty. You know, if I had to go to another business lunch where my boss was going to tell me the same goddamn story he told me on the last two business lunches without even noticing that he told me them before, and I couldn't say, why do you do that? Do you just not notice that other people have heard these stories before? Like, are you just a tape recorder? You know, the kind of stuff that I can actually say at FDR, right? Right. Like, I just, I could not, and I tried, but I could not get real conversations going in the business world. And it wasn't like I wanted to spend the whole day talking about, you know, feelings or whatever, right? But <laughs> where it came up, you know, it, I just couldn't get those conversations going. Yeah, and that's, that just hit so many bells because it's like the thing that I've been thinking about for you know, two years, we had a part of this conversation last night. It's like, I am so done. I don't know if I'm done with IT or done with business in general. And I figured out that it's not just IT. It really is like the corporate world altogether. And one of the things that I've been hesitating on, one of the, the parts of my happiness that I've not been going towards is all of these ideas that I've always had for you know, going out on my own and all these ideas that I've had I haven't taken any steps towards them because it's like that's amazingly amazingly scary, but it also Sorry, you've been going out it, in the business world on your own? Yeah, or even just you know, like getting a little money together and figuring and taking time not to run away, as I did in going to Russia, but taking some time to just figure stuff out. And that, you know, it, it scares me, but when I think about it, it's like, like, what would make me happier? Nothing. But I've not been going towards it. In fact, I've been going away from it. Right, right, right. So, when I began to sort of really get that I simply could not continue in the business world because i mean i got so many you know when i started going into the family stuff uh you know i obviously got a lot of a lot of flack for it right but the reason that i went into the family stuff charlotte was because that's what people wanted to talk about and i knew that i could not continue in the business world and i knew that if i continued to talk about the blueprint for a stateless society and dro constitutions and this and that i might get some listeners but people wouldn't really get engaged Right, right. Right, because you, you listen to a bunch of Sunday shows. I mean, people want to talk about their lives. They don't want to talk about abstract philosophy as much, at least not now, right? In the past, that was right. the case, but not now. Right. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, I can't, uh, I can't practice my values in the business world. I can't maintain my self-respect, self-respect in the business world. Um, mm-hmm. I can't be the kind of man that I want to be in the business world, so I have to go to FDR. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get FDR to work. And if that means talking about people's bad childhoods until I'm 90, that's what I'm going to do, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. Because that was the only chance that I had to live the kind of life. And so I did it. And I took whatever flack I took and I got, you know, (laughs) ditched by the libertarian community, right? And and so on, right? For, For obvious reasons. And... Uh, you know, I made my way alone and, uh, you know, among the slings, slings and arrows of outrageous scorn, rejection, hostility, and some, sometimes downright abuse, I uh, built the life that, um, the only life that I could live, uh, a reasonable or at least satisfying 
amount of, uh, of my values. Right. But I got that I could not continue at 2%. I could not. I mean, don't get me wrong, part of me would have loved to, right? Because <laughs> I was making some good money back then. I had cool travel, went to China, went to – I stayed – I put up at a five-star hotel in Paris to do presentations for a week. I was flown to Beijing. That was It was good stuff, man. It was good. Flew all over the United States, stayed in $400 a night hotels. It was it was damn fine fine stuff. It was the rock star yeah. life of a businessman, right? There you go. It's the closest you got to, you know, cheerleaders and, uh, and fast cars. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was, you know, as far as the business world can provide glamour, you know, I'm, I'm being flown. Like even the last job I had, I've flown down to New York, did presentations, went to see the Bare Naked Ladies at Radio City Music Hall. That was a great, it was a great couple of days. Really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I realized that I could not get myself much above 2%. Yeah. And so I had, to, I, like once I understood that, I knew that I had to build a different life, and I knew that I had to do whatever it took to get to that right. different life. Right. And I, I, looked into, I looked into going back to school mm-hmm. for psychology so that I could join Christina in her practice. Mm-hmm. I looked at uh, getting involved in startups, uh, venture capital for funds to start up for companies, provide them advice on how to grow their business so I wouldn't get too involved and get into the politics. I looked at a variety of things. I also looked at, you know, if we had kids, maybe I'd just be a house husband. You know, I, I looked yeah. at a, a variety of, of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I really wanted was FDR. Because I also knew that yeah. I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't grow without, I couldn't grow nearly as much without a community. And uh, so I worked, you know, to, to create that. And the reason that I'm <clears throat> boring you with these tales is that in the same way that you have a fantasy that someone's going to give you, I don't mean this is a real fantasy, but you have a fantasy that someone is going to give you the love and attention and investment that you did not get as a, as a baby and as a toddler and as a child and as a young woman. I think you have a fantasy, and this is where the real self-put-down is, I think. This is where the real masochism is. I think, mm-hmm. as I've mentioned before, I think you feel that you're trying to get to normal. Right? And, and that your work environment is full of healthy people who didn't have this bad background, and you're trying to get out of the wheelchair to join people just walking around, right? That was the thought. That, that was most of the thought when I started, yeah. But it's not the case. Right. Right. And I, I there, there aren't there aren't these sorry there aren't these people out there who are as healthy or more healthy than you, who've never had to go through rigorous self examination, who don't, who haven't studied philosophy, and psychology, and human knowledge and history and literature and art, for more than a decade, right? Who do, yeah. there are not these people out there, in the business world who would feel comfortable with the phrase, I had a good conversation with my Miko system last night, right? <laughs> right. right? You, you're not trying to repair yourself back to normal. The, the people who don't uh, have, who have not processed their histories, and we come, and no matter how good your family is, we all went to some shitty school, right? right. We all, we live in this irrational, anti-rational culture, with the caveat that it's the most rational culture 
that has ever been around, but it's still fundamentally relativistic, nihilistic, anti-rational, cowardly, right. bullying. So the normal right. is effed up. Yeah, normal is fucked up, for sure. And yeah. so you've, you, you outgrew these people when you were 13, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> yeah. Do you see? Yeah. And if you accept that in the same way that you need to accept that you're never going to get the love of a mother, the best you can hope for is to provide the love of a mother, which is a damn good curative, I can tell you. Like, I'm exactly the dad that I want to be, and it's, it's the best way to cure the ills of your own childhood is to give a happy childhood to someone else. Right. So you can be a good mother, but you will never have a good mother. Right. And you are not aiming to rejoin the herd, because you outgrew the herd the moment you cracked Ayn Rand and recognized what it meant. Right. And that's, that's it's odd that, that you say that I, I kind of outgrew them when I was 13. I guess it's it's odd because, you know, I've, I've been, been trying to keep myself in that place, right? Because so much of the, you know, the the desires and the, and the meat plus and all the stuff that comes up. I mean, I really am. That's, that's where I keep putting myself back to is the place I was when I was 13, basically. But that's because you're not grieving yet. Right. And I don't mean that. That's, sorry, that's very glib. I don't mean that you, you, you've never grieved, right? Of course you have, right? But I think that you're still waiting, as we all do. I don't know if you've you ever seen the movie. This is my movie reference tonight. Did you ever see the movie Shadowlands? Um, no. Yeah, rent it. It's a really good film. Uh, you, you might need to watch it twice. I did, right? But it's a really, it's a really good, subtle film. Um, anyway, there's a guy who, you know, he's, he's, his mother dies. This is no spoiler. This is right at the beginning of the film. His mother died. It's about C.S. Lewis, and it's a biographical mm-hmm. film. And uh, also one of the great statements of atheism in modern film, uh, which you'll see. You won't miss it (laughs) when it comes out. But um, uh, his mother died when he was a child, and uh, he he continues psychologically to wait for her to come down the hallway. And he's stuck emotionally, which is why he's never fallen in love before the start of the film. And uh, there are all, all these parts of us that, that stop, right? Christina uses his terminology and psychologists do, you know, that there's, he stopped at around this age, right? This is where his development was arrested, the age of four, the age of eight or 10 or 12 or whatever. There's parts of us that just get left behind, you know, like a peasant falling off a train, <laughs> except they don't even try to catch up, right? There are parts of us that just get left behind and the early part of self-knowledge is circling back to pick up the wounded, the straggling, the, <laughs> the left behind us, Right. Right. And your left behind is the grief. And, and there, there was no way you could have processed that grief as a child. There's no conceivable way. It would have been absolutely suicidal to try. Right. And so, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the childhood that you have, which certainly ranks into the top 10 worst of, that I've ever heard. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is the one with Anthony Hopkins. Sorry, just somebody asked that. But, you know, you just had a staggeringly wretched, awful, abusive, hideous uh, childhood. And I'm not a religious person, but if I were, I would invent hell just for your mother. (laughs) I would. I'm not a vengeful man in particular, but uh, there are some people I would be perfectly happy to see in my mind's eye roasted on this bit for eternity. Uh, 
your mother would be one of them. But um, the, the, the amount of loss that you suffered as a child was, I mean, there, there are, there's no words that can encapsulate it, just beyond staggering the degree of loss that you suffered as a child. I think that that's the grieving that you need to go to. That is going to release you from 2%. It's going to release you from the place where you're driven. You, we're driven to recreate what we have not fully and deeply experienced, right? And, and you're re- driven to recreate this loss and this unconsciousness and this desperation for the approval of bad people. I mean, for the very obvious reason that it's not processed for you. And there's no way it could be yet, right? You're only 23. Okay. I say, and that's an annoying thing to hear when you're 23. So I, <laughs> I apologize for that, right? And you're not a young 23 either, right? But, right. you know, this is uh, the loss that we talked about two years ago when you first talked about some of your history of kleptomania and so on, right? That yeah. you wanted the world to see uh, your loss. Right? But the world will not see your loss. Only you can see your loss. Yeah. And then, and then I'll stop after this, I promise. But, and, and then you can design a life with the basic realities firmly in place, not unconscious, not distracted, the basic realities that you will not find happiness in the business world, in my opinion. You will not find depth and richness in the business world. You will not find satisfaction in the business world. You will not find satisfaction, in my opinion, in the long run, in the business world, even as an entrepreneur. Because as an entrepreneur, you still end up dealing with irrational customers, right? Right, exactly. So, I don't know what the answer is for you. And I don't, again, these are just my opinions. Maybe you will. Maybe I'm completely talking about my armpit and I'm way wrong, right? This is just my, my thoughts, right? And it right. certainly was my experience. And I had, uh, I had more power in the business world than you've had so far, simply because I was more mature in my career, right? Right. Um, like I was a co-founder uh, on the board, uh, chief technical officer, chief marketing officer. I had dozens of employees. So I had more power and I still couldn't make it. Right. And, this, and, and again, you know, maybe you can. This is just my experience, right? So, so what life you're going to have if that's not an option is an interesting question. Is it, you know, is it going to be a therapist? Is it going to be a writer? Is it going to be whatever? I don't know. But that is the interesting question question right? if you accept that it may not be possible to do it yeah. in there and um, you know that's i keep trying to take the shortcut right it's like but if if i find what it's going to be then i'll just go there and it's like i i don't have to do any of this stuff but i i have to do this stuff before i'll find where there is i think yes you have to grieve and then you can't figure out what life is like on the other side of that grieving process because you don't know you don't know who you are until you get to the other side of that grieving process. And I'd, I'd, sorry, I said I would stop. Let me just give you one more thing, if you don't mind. I, I hope this stuff is helpful. <laughs> Steph, you, you know that I, uh, I drive you on to low class. I'm, I'm used to it. I, I'll be uh, I'd Okay, love to good. Hear it. But is it useful? Because I don't want this to be my platform. Yeah. It's useful. Okay. Um, Isabella doesn't know who she is except through interactions, right? I mean, this is something very fundamental, which I didn't know before I became a dad. She has a personality, and she's born with a personality and so on, right? Right. 
But when she drops something, she doesn't look at what she dropped. She looks at me. Right. When she sees something new, she doesn't look at it. She looks at me. We took her to, for, to a swimming pool today for the first time. Mm-hmm. We put her in the water. She didn't look at the water. She looked at me. Well, she and Christina. Right. That's awesome. I didn't know that. She doesn't, and, and this makes perfect sense, right? Because she doesn't look at, let's say she sees an animal, right? right? She doesn't know if it's a friendly dog or a dangerous wolf. She has to look to me to figure out whether it's safe or dangerous, because she doesn't know, right? How could she know? Right, it's all new, so right? She, she wants your reaction to tell her what it is. Right, right. And, and that, that is a biological imperative, and children who just like, hey, I'll just eat whatever mushrooms are around, right? I mean, I guess <laughs> eating, okay, eating's not the best example, because she'll put stuff in her mouth without asking me. That's inevitable too, right? right? But, but for, the, for a lot of new things that she sees and experiences, she will look to me or to Christina. Right. Not all, but, but a lot of them. So she doesn't, in a sense, know what the world is except through us. In other words, she doesn't really know herself. Like, she doesn't know when she does something funny unless we laugh, right? Yeah. She doesn't know if dropping something makes us laugh or makes us angry unless, well, not that it makes us angry, but you know what I mean, right? She right. doesn't know. She doesn't know how we're going to react to what she's doing until we, we react to what she's doing. Right. So she doesn't know what's good and bad, what's, quote, right and wrong, what's approved or disapproved, what's safe, what's dangerous, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. She doesn't know any of those things. So she looks, and that's why babies recognize faces before anything else, right? Right. And that's why babies are so susceptible to tones of voice, right? Because they are navigating what is good, bad, safe, and dangerous, right and wrong in the world. But they navigate not through the world, but through people around them, right? Right. We reach through our parents to the world. We, we in a sense, our parents are the puppets with which we explore the world. Right. And thus gain an identity. Yeah. I mean, she, she doesn't have any other mode of judgment. She can. I mean, she doesn't have, like, a, a catalog of experiences with which to judge. So I guess she's right. holding them up. Right. So she's, I mean, the ideal, of course, is that when she reaches for something dangerous, God forbid, right, she's going to mm-hmm. look for us and we're going to say no. And she won't, right, because she trusts us or whatever, right? And, right. you know, I think that's that's where the plan is going and so on. Mm-hmm. And so her 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 identity... Who she is, what, what the world is, is not, it's not objective. It is relational to us. Right. Now, you didn't get that. Right. Which is why identity is such a challenge, Right. I didn't get that. Most of the people on this call didn't get that. This is why identity, in my opinion, and this is new, right? It's new parenting stuff. This is why identity is such, is such a problem and mm-hmm. such an opportunity, right? Because right. we did not get the prefabbed identity of consistent parenting. We get to explore. We get to create. We get to grow. We get to break through 
something new. Right. We so, weren't habituated. Yeah. So who am I really is that scary, but that's also, that's also kind of awesome. It is for sure. It is for sure. But that's what I mean when I say it's hard to know who you'll be on the other side of the grieving. Right. Right, because the grieving is letting go of I will find my identity through other people, right? Right. It's, that's not possible anymore. No, it's not possible. That phase is way gone and will never yeah. return, right? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, the, the same with, you know, the, the windows for all of these things have, have gone, so... Right, right. And so the, the, the bad news is there's a lot of grieving. The good news is, and then you can build what's right. Right. But then you won't yeah, need to be found attractive to be attractive, right? Right. The phrase that keeps going through my mind is, wow, this is going to suck. Well, you're absolutely right. It is going to suck. <laughs> it is going to suck. It absolutely is going to suck. It's going to suck like going to the dentist sucks, right? It, it sucks, but it sucks a lot less than the alternative, right? Right. I mean, this, this is suckage in the short term, you know. Suckage in the long term is like uh, turning out like mother, God forbid. Well, no, that's not going to happen. That's, no, that's not going to happen because your mother never did what you did for the last two years, let alone ten years, right? Yeah. But no, the, the, the thing that is going to, the, the, the fate which I can promise you will be worse than anything for you is the life of menial inconsequentiality. You know, with the gifts that you possess, right? It's the life of, uh, you know, being uh, a lonely woman surrounded by cats when you're 50 working a menial IT job, right? Yes. Wondering where your dreams, your talents, your desires, your ambitions, your capabilities, your interests, philosophical, artistic, psychological romantic and uh, historical where it all went right and and that yeah. uh, is not right so you wouldn't become an abuser but uh right but you, you know that that vision every fiber of my being is just repelled by that that I know. vision i know <laughs> and that's what that's but that's where you'll be if you don't grieve and that's what i mean when i say it sucks a lot less than the alternative yeah Sign me up for some grieving, man. Right. <laughs> I'll be. I'll get on the grieve train. You can strap me to the front. Right. Yeah, yeah, please. That's what it takes. Well, I really my mother. I'm sorry. Yeah, I should. I shouldn't laugh about it, but wow, I really hate my mother. So sorry, this is where the conversation recording got cut off, but I hope that you've enjoyed it so far, and thank you so much to the listener.